0: thing doesn't seem quite right in that little uh, video there, does it? Because mom's just way too cheery in, in responding to those questions. Are we there yet? No. Um, I remember asking that question when I was a kid, and it wasn't mom who answered, it was my father, and he wasn't nearly as cheery. In fact, he was kind of sarcastic. And his answer was something like this, uh, yes, we're there. It's just that I was having so much fun listening to you three kids fight in the back seat that I thought I'd drive around the block for three more turns, right? Well, here's what I'd like to do this morning. All those voices in the back seat, we're going to get them out of the back seat, okay? We're just going to put them to the curb, and we'll drive around and pick them up next week. And we're just going to focus on the people who are in the front seat this week. And that's mom and dad or husband and wife, whatever, whatever, however you'd like to describe yourself. But I'd like to ask us this question as we talk about marriage this morning. Are we there yet? Or even a bigger question than that, I think maybe a better question is... What's going on in your car? Your marriage car? And I know if you play the game of life, you you know, you always get your little car and you put your little blue person in there, and then you always have to for me, and if you always have to decide whether you're gonna put a pink person in there or not, and you know how that's gonna affect the rest of the game. But we get our little marriage cars going. But you know, for a lot of us, we have our marriage cars going. And as we look at our marriage cars and we ask the question, Are we there yet? I'd like you just to do a little inventory and think through what's going on in that car. Maybe your car is just circling the same block because you've got the same problems and you just keep going back to them over and over again and they don't ever seem to get resolved. And so you just kind of keep going around and around in circles. It's the same car, but it's starting to get a little bit old. Or maybe your car is just parked in the middle of the road because you're at an impasse. And you can't figure it out. In fact, you're ready to to just move on, and it's kind of in the way of everybody else, but that's your car. Maybe in your car, you've got the radio turned up really, really loud so that the cars next to you can't hear the fighting. Or maybe the radio's turned up really, really loud because that's the only way you can kill the deafening silence, and you've discovered that you really don't have a whole lot to say to each other anymore, and, and rather than just sit there, you turn the radio on. Maybe your car's careening out of control right now and things are really just going from bad to worse and everybody's about to get hurt in your car and people on the outside of your car. Maybe in your car, who's ever riding shotgun, whether it's him or her, I don't know, but they're like the driving instructor. And all they could do is point out all the things that the driver's doing wrong. It should be doing differently. I don't know what's going on inside your car right now. But I want you to stop and think about it. Where are you? And we can add the question, are you there yet? And the answer, I know, is no. Because and a lot of you, even you've been married 50 years plus, your marriage can still get better. And your marriage, like the rest of us, does these ups and downs, and maybe it's in an up, and maybe it's in a down right now. And maybe it just needs you to stop and think about what's going on in your car. So the goal this morning is to help you get a little further down the road. But I also hope that we can make the trip a little bit more enjoyable. So that the two people who are riding in the front seat are doing okay. Now, when we talk about marriage, let me just say a couple of things here to start with. First of all, my goal is not to create disruption. And yet, probably some things that get said this morning will create some disruption. and. That's not the goal, but if that happens, and in your relationship, maybe that will actually lead you to a a healthier place, because I've discovered this in my life, that discomfort often precedes action. I usually take the Tylenol after I get the headache, not before, but sometimes as we dive into some of these things, things come to the surface. And it makes us aware enough that we say, you know what, I can do something about that. And it may be uncomfortable, but it's gonna be worth it to us to work through it. And so if we cause discomfort this morning, I hope that's the case. For some of you, I realize that when we talk about marriage, this brings up hurts from the past. Um, And for relationships maybe that haven't gone as hoped, and I don't share any of this out of condemnation, okay? My goal is to provide hope. And so if that happens this morning, I apologize, and that's not my desire. My desire is that you can actually take something from this morning that's encouraging to you. And then I also realize whenever we talk about something like this, there are those of you who sit in the room who are single. And whether you want to be or not, I don't know. And for whatever reason, I don't know. And it's like, does this even fit and apply to where, where you are in your story? I hope that there's some relationship principles, especially one big one that we look at here, that can be helpful to you. So I say all that as we start this morning to say, my heart is to be helpful, okay? I don't want to be hurtful at all. And if that's what it comes across, then I've missed. But I want to provide encouragement and help to you in your journey. Well, we talked about this idea of what your advice might be. And I don't know what it is, but I want to look at one person's advice on marriage, and that's actually Jesus Christ. And his story, or this advice that we're going to look at, shows up in Mark chapter 10. The interesting thing is we look at Jesus and what he had to say about marriage. It was very, very little. This passage that we're going to look at here in Mark chapter 10, there's like the companion passage to that, which is in Matthew chapter 19. There's a little... Um, reference in the Sermon on the Mount that that covers the same material pretty much. And then there's that one story where the Sadducees came to Jesus and said, hey, you know, if so-and-so dies and his wife remarries and keeps she keeps remarrying, you know, who's she going to be married to in the resurrection? And other than that, Jesus doesn't really cover this topic. And yet in this little passage that we see in this one, almost kind of like a one-time event where he does address the, the matter, he gives us some really, really great advice that I think would be helpful to all of us this morning. So, Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to be looking. You can use the Bible in front of you to follow along. You can follow along on your, your devices. And uh, we use the UVersion app, and if you have that, um, you, you can jump to that too in the events page. But let me read here. Jesus then left that place, and he went into the region of Judea across the Jordan, And again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. So the people showed up, and Jesus, when when the crowds were gathered, he would stop and speak. And it seemed to be kind of an interactive style that he used a lot. And so that's what happens here. Some Pharisees came, and they tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And this question um, approach was what the Pharisees liked to do a lot. They liked to Ask Jesus a question where the answer would put him on one side or the other, and they would find areas in society where there's division. And the hope is that would, he would answer one way or the other. They didn't care which way he answered, but they, they would side with half the people, and it would, like, turn the other half of the people against him. And so they were trying, they would do this. Like, for instance, they asked, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar or... Um, You know, what is the greatest command? So this is a pattern that they use, and it's kind of crazy because every time they played this game, they lost. Because they'd ask Jesus this question, he'd look at them, and he'd ask them a question back that would totally trap them and put them into a corner. And that's exactly what happens in this situation here. The Pharisees come and they test and say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And here's why this would have been a trap. There were two schools of thought in that day there were different rabbis that taught different things. And there was the rabbi by the name of Shammai. And his teaching was that um, divorce was only in the case of adultery, and he was a real hardliner. Then there was another rabbi who taught in that day by the name of Hillel. And he was like the opposite. He was kind of like uh, divorced for any reason, any cause. And so the, the people were divided into these two camps, and they're trying to force Jesus into one of these two camps. At the same time, John the Baptist had spoken out against Herod, who had gone through this divorce thing, and it hadn't really gone very well for him. If you know the story, he lost his head over it. And there's some people who think that maybe they were trying to push Jesus into saying something that Herod would object to, and that would, you know, eliminate the problem of Jesus as well. We don't really know, but we do know they were trying to use this question to put Jesus into the trap. And Jesus answers with his own question, well, what did Moses say? And he's referring to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 to 5. We're going to look at that in a minute. And they answered by saying, well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And the key word in that verse right there is Moses permitted it. He didn't advocate for it. He just allowed for it. And he said, if this happens, this is what you need to do. And to get a better understanding of that, I want to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 24 and read these verses of what Moses said. Deuteronomy 24.1, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent, and this is the basis of these two um, rabbis, their two camps, nobody really knew exactly what this becomes indecent or becomes displeasing meant. Did it meant immoral, or did it meant just something that you didn't really like? And they deb- and, and they debated that. He says, but if you find something about her, and if he writes her a certificate of, of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from her house, and if after she leaves his house she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband, he dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then the first husband who divorced her is not allowed to remarry her again after that she's been with a second husband, because this would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Don't bring this sin upon the land or the Lord your God, that your Lord your God is giving to you as an inheritance. Let me just decipher that for you, okay? What was happening here is men were deciding they didn't like their wives and they were asking for a divorce. Whether it was over adultery or whether over as a lesser issue, we don't really know. But they were asking for a divorce, and Moses was saying, if you're going to do this, what you have to do is you have to give your wife a certificate of divorce so that she can remarry. And if you don't give her this certificate of divorce, then we assume that she's committed adultery, and then she's in danger of being stoned as punishment for that. So to protect the wife that you're divorcing, you need to at least give her this certificate of divorcement so that she's protected. And that's what this was all about. It wasn't really about condoning divorce or even giving permission. It was trying to protect the innocent women who were, who were being victimized potentially in this situation to make sure that they were cared for. And I love that because it's God saying, you know what? I see that sometimes in these situations, there are victims. There are people who go through divorces who never would choose that, and yet it still happens to them. And God's saying, is, I care about them, and I'm taking care of them, and I'm going to make sure that they're protected. And that's what this passage was all about. And So the men, though, they missed the point, and they were like, you know what, I'll be a nice guy, and I'll give you a certificate of divorce. And what Jesus is calling out, is, says, you know what, you guys missed the whole point of that. It's not about following the right procedure, it's about having the right heart. In fact, he goes on and he lowers the boom, and we go back to Mark chapter 10, and Jesus says this, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. That law had to be put into effect because the hearts of your ancestors were wrong. And I had to, and God had to protect those people. But it's interesting that he doesn't say their hearts. He says your hearts. And the reason that you are asking this question is because you are looking at this picture in this situation completely wrong, and you're looking at it wrong because your hearts are messed up here. And he says, you have hard hearts. And when marriages fail, it's when hearts get hard towards each other and towards God. But he's saying, you are missing the whole idea of marriage. So let me give it to you. And that's where he goes in verse number six. At the beginning, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And he goes all the way back to the start, even before the fall. And he says, the original design is what God intended, and it still serves as the model today, even after the fall. And he tells us that God intended marriage to be male and female between a man and a woman. And that's what God designed, and that's how it's going to go well for you if you follow God's instruction there and God's design. And he goes on, verse number seven. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And he tells us that marriage is man and woman. Then he tells us that marriage is about coming together as one. So two become one. The individual becomes joint, but that only happens as we move towards each other. Key point to hang on to here as we go on this morning. Okay. Male, female, two become one as they move towards each other. And then he goes on and says, in verse number nine, therefore what God has joined together. Let man not separate. What God has joined together is a key idea here because marriage is a supernatural event where God is involved in the picture and in the process and God brings two people together and he says, no, nah, what God's brought together, don't let man separate. So it's a supernatural thing. But the encouraging part about that is when you're in that marriage relationship, you've got God in it with you. He's part of that marriage and so that's an encouragement too. But then he says, don't let man separate. Now, who is the man that separates marriage? It's just the two people that are part of the marriage. That's where the separation comes. He says, don't go there. He says, God's put you together. Don't walk away from it because that's not what God intends. And yet he still goes on in Deuteronomy 24 and says, you know what? There are cases where there's brokenness and I'm still going to care for you and your brokenness. But don't miss." the key idea here that God's bringing together as one and he wants you to remain as one. So let me just summarize here a few of the key ideas that I think can be helpful to us in our marriages today. And as we go down that road in our marriage car, the first thing is this, marriage is designed to be a covenant and not a contract. Marriage is designed to be a covenant and not a contract. And a covenant is a promise that we make regardless of what the other person does. A contract, on the other hand, is an agreement with two people that are dependent upon the fulfillment of terms. And if we think covenant, then I'm in it for whatever. If I think contract, then I'm always looking for the out clause. And that was what was going on with these people. They were looking for the out. How do I... Get out of this. See, when we come to marriage, we say what? I do. And we stop right there. We don't say I do, comma, if, dot, dot, dot. And this is the point that Jesus is making here. Contracts are based on transactions. Covenants are based on commitments. Contracts look for reciprocity, the give and take of it. Covenants just require a personal integrity. It's like, that's what I said. That's what I'm going to do. And so the question that the people were asking Jesus was the question that was asking this, when is it okay to void the contract? And Jesus is saying, it's not. Second thing here, marriage is based on the concept of oneness. Marriage is based on the concept of oneness. It shouldn't be a me mentality, but a we mentality because we are supposed to come together and become one. So we can't really talk about what's good for me or what's good for you. We need to talk about what's good for us in this relationship. And this is really important to what Jesus is saying, because if we miss this point right here, and we'll get to it in a minute, we miss the whole basis of marriage. And we come to marriage with a faulty premise, and if our premise is faulty, everything falls apart that follows. And we'll come right back to that in a minute. Let me go on here and finish up what Jesus says. There's a little bit more to the story. Mark chapter 10, verse number 10. When they were in the house again, after Jesus had said these things, the disciples asked him about what he said. And Jesus said, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And what he's saying here is, husband, stop giving yourself permission to do what you shouldn't do here. But then he goes on, he says, and if the... Wife divorces her husband and marries another man. She commits adultery too. And he flips the tables here a little bit and said, wives, this goes for you too. So, you know, husbands can be looking to get out of this and thinking contractually, but wives, you can do the same thing here too. Don't go there. And in the Roman world where they lived, it was actually permissible, different from when the Deuteronomy passage that was written when Moses was around, it was actually permissible for the wife to seek proceedings against the husband. And he's saying to both of them, don't go there, okay? But let's just put this down into to three really practical statements, okay, that we can take from this. The first one is this. Stop looking to get out of it. When it comes to marriage, stop looking to get out of it. As we go through the re material, the reengage groups, there's a chapter that we talk about this, and it's a great visual here. They talk about seeing um, or envisioning doors and how oftentimes we look to go through a door to get out. And the door, the big door that we all see is the big divorce door. And so I step out of the divorce door, out of the house and into a new life. But there's also other doors that we step out of, and they're not like the front door where we're stepping out of the house. But oftentimes, we step out of the room in our marriages. I'm not leaving the house. I'm not leaving this relationship. But you know, you're in that room, and I'm not real comfortable with you, so I'm going to go over to this room over here. We'll be in the same house because, you know, we want to honor God and everything, all our commitments, right? But we're not in the same relationship, or we're not in the relationship that we should be. And let me just identify a few of these doors this morning. Because maybe this is a door that you've walked through, that you need to walk back through in the other direction. The door of detachment—that's just where you know what. This hurts too much. I'm not going there. I'm just going to check out emotionally. And we can be nice to each other. We can get along with each other. We can coexist here, but we're very detached and distant from each other. There's the door of distraction, where marriage isn't going the way I'd like it to go. So you know what I do? I just occupy myself with a lot of other things. I occupy myself with my work. I occupy myself with, you know, um, getting involved in all kinds. Maybe sports is your thing or hobbies or working in the car out in the garage or watching Netflix in the other room. But we fill our time up with something else so that we can just distract ourselves and we don't have to go there. But that's a door that we walk through into another room. There's the door of defeat. That's where we just fire like, eh, whatever. It's never going to get any better. It's just always going to be like this. And you know what? I'm tired of putting effort into it because it's just, it's no fun. And so we just kind of live in defeat and we decide to be nice about it. But it's a door that we walk through. Sometimes we walk through the door of desertion. That's where we actually find somebody else. Now, we don't go through the door of divorce. We just have an affair with somebody. It could be physically involved. It could be mentally and emotionally involved. And that's a lot of times where we go. We just find somebody else who makes us feel better about ourselves, and we get into that where we find our enrichment, fulfillment, and somebody else, and that's the door of assertion. Or sometimes we just go to the door of disfavor, where we just get to the place where it's like contempt that we have for our mate, where they can't do anything right. And we just continually kind of offer that judgment, and they feel it. No matter how hard they try, they're not getting on the other side of that door. And we put these doors in our marriages. And what Jesus is saying here is get rid of the doors. Not just the door of divorce, but the doors that actually get us closer there. And get yourself reengaged. So if you've walked through that door, turn around and walk back. Or if your mates walk through that door, follow them right through that door. Because you need to stop looking to get out of your marriage. And the reason that we go there sometimes, though, is because we have a faulty view of what marriage is about. And our view of marriage often becomes, what can I get out of it? And so stop looking to get out, but stop looking at what you can get out of it. Unfortunately, too many people get married for this reason, to get something out of it. If I get married, well, then he can help me with my feelings of of insecurity. Or she can help me with affirmation because I'm not very sure of myself. And if I know that she believes in me, I'll I'll be okay with that. Or I'm really lonely, and if I can get married, he he can help me feel not so lonely. And we have these lists of things of why we get married and what that partner is going to help us do. But when we go into marriage in that direction, what are we asking? What can I get out of this? And that's the wrong reason to move into marriage, as we'll see in just a minute here. But when we get into that mindset, we get ourselves in trouble. First of all, we get ourselves disappointed. Because if you got into marriage because your mate was going to do something for you, let me just tell you, your mate failed, right? And you're like, oh. I was counting on more than that from you, buddy. And we feel horribly disappointed. But it puts our mate in a really tough spot, right? Because we're asking our mate to do something for us that our mate really can't do. Our mate can't ultimately solve my problem. My wife, she's she can't really fix me. And when I expect her to, I put her in a really, really bad spot. And it puts our... Marriage is in danger, too, because what we start doing then is we move back to contractual thinking. And that's where we start measuring who's investing what. Who's putting what into this relationship? Well, I did this. She didn't do this. This isn't fair. So you know what? Next time, I'm not paying this. But when we get to this mindset where I get something out of it, as soon as I don't get what I wanted, I shut down because... We're going, to, we're going to even the ledger, right? And we get ourselves in a big mess here. And we can take what Jesus says saying and say, stop trying to get out of it. But if you'll stop trying to get something out of it, it will help you in that regard. And so what's the answer? Well, the answer is simply this, right? Start pouring all that you can into it. Stop looking, stop stepping back all the time and start stepping in. Stop saying, what can I get from this? And start saying, what can I give to this? And I wanna show you a verse here that I didn't read, but it's part of Deuteronomy chapter 24. And this is like the craziest verse, okay? Deuteronomy 24, five says this, if a man is recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. So if a guy gets married, and the Jewish army goes into battle, he doesn't go. In fact, he, he's relieved from his, um, from his military duty here for a year. For one year, he is to be free to stay at home and check out this next line, and bring happiness to the wife he has married. He gets a year to bring happiness to his wife. Now, that's pretty crazy, isn't it? But this goes with those four verses I read before, where if you're going to write a certificate of divorcement, here's all the the details and and the uh, qualifications for that. But I think what Moses is doing here is saying, you know, but if you get this verse right here, right, you don't have to mess with this other stuff. If you get this concept, husbands, that your job is to make your wife happy, you're going to be okay. And all the wives are like, yeah. But don't forget that Jesus flipped the script too, right? And so you can actually go back and read this in reverse. I think it's just as important that wives, we make it our goal and our responsibility to make our husbands happy. Now, this seems really, really, really trite, doesn't it? And yet at the same time, it's incredibly powerful because marriage, according to The Bible here is what? Marriage is about making the other person happy. Now, at the very beginning, I said, what would be the advice that you would give? Here's the advice that Moses would give. Make your husband happy. Make your wife happy. And if you will focus on those two things, you will be amazed how far your relationship will go. So what makes your mate happy? Have you thought about that lately? What makes your mate happy? I have a mate, you know, I know some things that make Kelly happy, okay? I wrote some of these things down. It makes Kelly happy if I plan ahead. You know, surprises don't help her, and, and, you know, not being prepared doesn't help her. So if I'm going to make her happy, then I try to plan ahead. Um, You know, stopping for coffee or Coke makes her happy. We first got married, she'd be like, can I stop and get a Coke? And I'm thinking, no, we can't stop for a Coke, that's like a dollar, And if we do that, you know, think how many times we do that in our entire life. If I start this this precedent right now, right? We've been married twenty-seven years. I mean, if we did that like like once a year, that's twenty-seven bucks. That's a meal. But you know, I've learned okay, we could stop and we can get a coffee, you know. Being outside makes her happy. You know what we did last year for our anniversary? We bought each other bikes. So, we could be outside. Okay, those are simple things. You know, and I'm skipping over some of the things on my list. There's a lot more here. One of the things I'm learning right now, reengage has been great for me in this, is listening. My listening makes my wife happy. Surprisingly, it doesn't make her happy when I cut her off and give her my solution. I, I'm learning. And it should be obvious, right? But what are the things that make your mate happy? Now, this works great, right, if both parent, uh, partners subscribe because then I'm looking out for her and she's looking out for me and then we both have somebody looking out for us, right? And it's great, too, because it starts to eliminate the scorekeeping because I'm not really worried about what I get from her. I'm more concerned about what I'm giving to her. And, and so that's really powerful. And you know what else it does? It leads to oneness, Because as I'm investing in her, I'm investing in us. And that's a really, really key thought there. Because some of you are sitting and thinking, well, I could do that, but I'm never going to get back what I put into it, okay? That's wrong thinking, because I'm thinking about what I'm going to get back from it. But it's not even true thinking. Because every time that we add value to our mate, maybe that's a better way to say it than make your mate happy, okay? How about if we say, how about if you add value to your mate? Every time you add value to your mate, you add value to your marriage. They've changed this a little bit now in in, um, marriage ceremonies. It used to be the unity candle was a big thing. And I have some really fun stories with unity candle, like outdoor weddings, unity candles, um, wind. They don't go that well. You know, we have marriages that have ended before they have even started because a big gust of wind came up. But, um, and then there was the night that I was doing one in, it was right behind me and it was raining and we were under this tent and that the whole crowd was just standing and everybody kept pressing forward and I kept backing up knowing that there's this candle. Anyhow, but, uh, they switched to something new and I'm all excited about this. It's Unity Sand. Have you seen this where you get like a blue vial of sand and a, and a pink vial of sand or whatever and you pour them together? It's a great picture because as you pour into this one vile here. It's not just your mate whose world gets better. It's your marriage that gets better. And we can't add value to the other person without adding value to ourselves. Now, is this risky? Yes. Because it might not be reciprocated. I get that. But we need to be willing to take the risk and step out. And the greatest example of that was Jesus Christ, right? Who loved us, before we ever loved him. In fact, what does John say? Why do we love him? Because he first loved us. And we celebrated baptism this morning, which is a great picture of Jesus coming to that cross and dying for our sins while we were still sinners. But it was that love that we responded to. It's so many times in our marriages, we're waiting for the other person to go first. And if we would just take the initiative and love first, guess what would happen? We might experience love back. And if we would take this simple idea of making the other person happy, we would find it to be a super powerful and actually liberating concept in our marriages. Well, I was going to finish this morning with four practical ideas. These are things that Kelly and I have learned, and I'll just go through these really quick because we've got about two minutes left. Where we are learning to step through doors, where we are learning to step towards each other, where we are actually learning to make each other happier, to add value to each other. One thing here is to deal with things. Don't let them sit, and both of you take the responsibility to move first. Little things become big things when you don't deal with them. And rather than letting them become big things, take the step. Most relationships get in trouble because we've collected a bunch of little stuff. Not because there's been some big thing, but if you're letting the little stuff go and not dealing with it, okay, you need to step into that and towards each other. Embrace the gift of grace. Nothing will change your relationship like extending grace. And if I, I, don't, I wish I could say so much more about that. Pursue understanding. This is something I think even in the last year has, has something that God's doing in my life, in, in, in our marriage through me, is to learn to listen, but to learn to listen to understand. Not just what did you say, but why did you say that and why are you thinking? And to actually validate that. And you know what we're finding? That we don't even have to agree as long as we can understand. But so many times we fight for agreement that we miss this. But this is a way that we step back through doors and where we come back together. And then I would say this to work on your own junk. One of the ways that I can best love my wife is to take care of the stuff that's messing me up. And that's a gift that I can give her to make her happy. One of the biggest ways that I can make my wife happy is to deal with me first instead of worrying about fixing her. It's not my job. It's not your job. It's not my job to fix my wife or her job to fix me or your job to fix your mate. That's the Holy Spirit's job, and that's God's job. That doesn't mean that you can't have discussions, and maybe you have, need to have hard discussions. And that means that you can't, uh, that you just live permissively and let whatever happen happen. That's not right either. That's not my point. But my point is sometimes we need to say, you know what, I'm going to worry about me. And I'm going to do everything I can to make me the person that I can give me as a gift to you. And then we'll let God take it from there. So, how are things in your marriage car this morning? I don't know. I do know that they can get better. And I do know that you can get the car a little bit further down the street. If you will pay attention to what Jesus says, what Moses says, what God says through his word, stop looking to get out of it. Stop looking to get something out of it and start pouring yourself into it. And adding value or making your mate happy.